look at the cross for just a few moments. Why it is so important. Numbers chapter 21. Thank you, Peter, for leading up with your poem. The children of Israel, there are three million of them. They're in the desert. They're complaining, complaining, complaining. They're going to the promised land. And this story is in the Bible because we are the people of God. And just as Israel did of old, new hope is on the way through the desert to the promised land. And so their story is our story. And it's all about the cross that I studied that morning with Liska. Numbers 21 verse 4. Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey. And I want to tell you this morning that sometimes God takes you on a long journey, a different journey, one you are not expecting, maybe one you do not like. I have been on a few of those journeys myself. Journeys I did not choose and journeys I did not like. But I want to tell you this morning, my brothers and sisters here at New Hope, that we are on a journey through the desert. It will not always be easy. Things will happen that will confront us that we do not like. I have lost loved ones in death that have kept me, the pain and the sadness and the agony have kept me awake night after night after night. I remember the loss of my grandmother. Oh, she was 101, it doesn't matter how old they are. When death visits, it hurts. I was taken on a journey I did not want to go on. It caused me pain. It caused me some heartache. And whatever journey you're on this morning, I want you to remember that you're on the way through the desert. This is not necessarily an easy journey. Things will be thrown up in front of you that will challenge you, but I take great comfort in the fact that Jesus promised that he will always walk with us, that he will never leave us or forsake us. And the amazing thing for the Hebrews is during the day, God had a cloud over them to keep them cool in the night. The desert would get cold. He had a fire in the sky. God's with them. God's looking after them. God's leading them. God's directing them. And they knew. They they knew it because they could see it. I remember my darkest days during my divorce. And that is the hardest journey I've ever been on. I didn't ask for it. I didn't want it. But it was brought to me. Now, some would say I deserved a lot of what I got, and that might be true. But it was a dark, dark journey. And I remember at the darkest time in that journey, I was in deep depression. I wasn't ministering. I was literally out of the work. I didn't know whether I'd ever get back. And I remember I was at my mother and father's place one morning and I got up and I I hadn't had much sleep. I was really struggling and my dad said to me, Lloyd, you're on a journey. You need to stop and look at the blessings God's given you. I said, what do you mean? It couldn't be worse. He said, go for a walk. I don't know whether my dad remembers telling me this, but he said, go for a walk. When you're on that walk, start to thank the Lord for the good things he's doing for you. And sometimes when you're on the journey and you're in the dark valley, you need to go for a walk like I did. You know, that was the beginning of my turnaround. I went on a walk down by the, down by the seashore where my mum and dad lived. And I started to think, what is it that the Lord is blessing me for? Well, I, did, I had Liska back then, given her a difficult time, but I had her. Thank you, Lord, for Liska. 
Thank you, Lord, for Hannah and Danae, my daughters. I'm trying to think what I can thank the Lord for while I'm on this journey in the darkness. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that I've got a conference and a president who's given me time off to get through this. And and things started to pour out of me. Thank you, Lord, that I've got a church, Warunga, that loves me and is supporting me. Thank you, Lord, that I've got life. Thank you, Lord, that last night I slept in a bed. Well, even if I wasn't asleep, I was in a bed and I was warm and I was dry. Thank you, Lord, I woke up this morning and I had breakfast. See, it's starting to flow from me as I went on this walk. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all these things. Thank you, Lord, that I've got clothes. Thank you that I live in a country where I've got safety and I don't know, and I know I'm going to get through the day without getting shot. By the time I had gone on that walk, which might have been an hour and a half, two hours, I need to do more of them, I know. Thing is, now I've married Liska, things are so good I don't need to walk anymore. <laughs> um, time I got back from that walk, I'm on this dark journey, but by the time I got back from the walk, everything had changed. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, it works. When you're on the journey, no matter how dark things are, don't forget to thank the Lord and look for his leading in your life. Because he's there. And he is leading you. And he is holding your hand. And when I look back on this dark journey and it's away behind me now, all I see is Jesus, 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 the whole way through. So on the journey, look for Jesus. Oh, the Jews, the Hebrews, the Israelites weren't looking for Jesus. How blind are they? For goodness sake, you've got a heater in the sky at night and an air conditioner during the day. What is wrong with you? You're being led by Moses, brought out of Egypt, out of imprisonment, out of slavery by 10 miraculous plagues. You're being taken to the bottom of the mountain and you've heard God himself speak. What do you need? (sighs) I think sometimes... Sometimes we're a bit like that because we don't stop and think about what God is doing for us. As I was thinking about my atheist friends, you know, if you walk away from God on the journey and you stop looking at the good things he's doing for you, after a while you start to get spiritual amnesia. Do you know what that is? Yeah, actually, Satan gets inside your head, blocks your neural pathways, blocks your memory, starts to confuse your mind, and you forget every single supernatural, wonderful thing God ever did for you. And that's how Adventists who are hot for Jesus become cold because they end up with spiritual amnesia because they're spending time on themselves, on a walk away from God. They're not in his presence The devil gets inside of them, it's unfortunate, and they get spiritual amnesia and they forget everything God has ever done for them and the Israelites were doing the same thing too. Because verse 5 says, And they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the here in the wilderness? They complain. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. Well, they were not dying. They had plenty to eat. They had plenty to drink. And they had not, but, but here they are. They're saying, we have nothing to eat, but we hate this manna. Well, what's the manna? Well, God, I got nothing except this terrible house you've given me to live in. Well, I got nothing, Lord, except this family that supports me. Well, I got nothing, Lord, well, except the food I have in my tummy every day. We forget the goodness of the Lord. Amen. Yeah. 
You remember the goodness of the Lord, he'll always be a reality in your life. And this is what the Hebrews did. Verse 6, so the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people and many were bitten and died. And I think the poisonous snakes are in amongst us too. These snakes, Israeli saw scale vipers is what I think they were. I went and did some study. They inhabit the Aravar Valley, which is where the Israelites were. They prefer rocky terrain. They're deadly poisonous. They're extremely dangerous. Sounds like sin, doesn't it? They're especially painful. They have a very fiery bite. They've got a slow-acting venom, so you will die, but it'll take 24 to 48 hours. The the bite is a reddish, fiery colour. They have a lightning-fast strike. And these snakes are one of the scariest snakes in the world because they actually leap at you when they attack. Can you imagine that? And you die by internal bleeding. Um, i, I got to tell you, I, I don't like snakes. I particularly don't like these snakes. I, I live on a farm. Um, we have red belly blacks out there and black snakes. We, which one for you Aussies? Which one is the one you should be afraid of? The red belly or the black? Huh? Black and brown snakes they have out there. So should you be afraid of the red belly or the black and the brown? The black and the brown. Red bellies are good guys. They actually eat rats and all sorts of vermin and they won't bite you unless you literally tread on top of them. In fact, they'll, they'll try and get away. I, I was out at my farm a year or two ago and my dog Lucky, oh, she's a naughty girl. <laughs> Not only does she eat the garbage out of the garbage can every time we leave her at home, boy, she's naughty, but she's a killer. And I was out at my farm a, a few months ago and I looked down and she's down by the dam and she's just, uh, she, she was, she's American Staffy, so she's poised for battle. And you know American Staffy when she's going to fight. And I'm thinking, what's down there? There's no dog. What's and then I thought, snakes, snakes. And I started to call her off and I thought, oh no, I better not. Because if I, you know, get her to lose her attention, then I'll lose her. And she grabbed the snake like lightning. Should I say this? Are there greenies in here? Sorry. (laughs) I didn't do it. The dog did. (laughs) And she slapped this thing. I live in a valley and you could literally hear like the cracking of a whip as Lucky killed this snake. Well, I went down, poor thing. It was a red belly black. And I was really sorry about that. I wish it had been a black or a brown snake because they are dangerous. In fact, another time I was on the farm. I I know I'm out of time, Andrew, but I'm allowed to do this. I'm on my tractor with my dad and I couldn't believe it. I just mowed the lawn and here comes this brown snake across the ground. He would have been 100, 200 metres away. He saw me and dad. I'm on the tractor. Praise the Lord. (laughs) I'm a city boy, not a country boy. I pretend I'm a country boy, but I'm a city boy. I don't like snakes and I don't like rats or mice, anything slimy. (laughs) This thing turned... And headed straight toward us. And I'm thinking Numbers 21 and the Israelites getting bitten by these snakes. But the Israelites never had a tractor with a slasher on the back of it. Hallelujah. <laughs> Actually, the reality is my dad got to the... But, but he was an aggressive snake. And it was coming after us. My dad's an old farmer and it was a mistake, that brown 
snake made that day and it hung on the fence for the next three months as a memory to all the other snakes and a reminder, don't, don't come near my dad. And uh, if you do come near Lloyd, he's going to be on the tractor and slasher and he'll deal with you too. But I tell you, to be confronted by an aggressive snake you can imagine the fear these people were having and these snakes were sent into the camp and they're killing the people in the millions, the thousands, the thousands and the thousands and they're painful bites and pe- these things, you can imagine them leaping up out of the air. Look, this is symbolic of sin. It's a real story but it's put there to tell us what sin will do to us in the last days as we're going through the desert and nothing will destroy your walk with Jesus more than intentional, purposeful, habitual enjoyable sin and it's time the people of the Lord and you will get to know me I am no sinless perfectionist but I'll tell you what it's time the people of the Lord got serious with the snakes in their lives hallelujah these things are harming us they are hurting us Sin is ripping great, it's, it's ripping great shreds through our, through our ranks. And we are weak because we have these snakes, we have these sins in our lives, and we know what they are. My encouragement to you today is if you've got them, get rid of them. Amen? Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray, that's a good thing to do. If you're on the journey, if you've been attacked by sin, if you're down and out, this is a good thing to do. Go to Moses. Well, he's not here, but you can go to the same God he did. And they said to Moses, pray to the Lord, and it's a good thing for you to do and for me to do if we're in sin. Pray to the Lord that he will take away the snakes, he'll take away the sin. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, make a replica, and this is really strange stuff, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. Put the snake up on a pole or the snake. Look at the snake and you'll live. And this, this story almost doesn't make sense. So Moses made a snake. He did what he was told. Out of bronze. He attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. Very, very strange story. Especially... When the Bible says this in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, and I want you to look at it very carefully, Revelation 12, verse 9. You don't have to understand this prophecy or what the prophecy is talking about. I just want you to see what the prophecy says about Satan. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Who's the ancient serpent? Huh? Some of the kids get it. Hallelujah. Who is it? This ancient serpent, Satan. So Jesus tells Moses to get a pole. Who does the snake represent? Put a snake on the pole and look at the pole and live. Is God actually saying, put Satan up there, look at him and live? I was confused about this story for a long time. And then one day in my Bible study, I came across this. 2 Corinthians 5.21, and I love it. Talking about Jesus on the cross. 
God made him who had no sin to be what? Sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now I want to pray because this is a holy time and I want the Holy Spirit to come in here and I'm going to make an appeal and sit down. Dear Father, this is a very sacred part of our service now. As I make a call on behalf of you, of people, all of us who've been snake-bitten to God. May you be in this room. May your Holy Spirit touch us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. When Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he just didn't take our sins, and I want you to understand this, he became sin. He just didn't bear them. He was sin. And this hurts to even say this. Jesus became the what? Huh? He became sin, which is represented by what? The snake. And when Jesus died on the cross, he was sin. He's up there and sin separates us from God. The sin is our sin. He had never sinned. He was perfect, but he became our sin. He became sin itself. No wonder he bent down in the garden and fell to the ground and Jesus had to send Gabriel, the archangel of heaven. Let me say that again. The father had to send Gabriel, the archangel of heaven, down to the garden to strengthen Jesus so that he had had enough strength to get to the cross. He only lasted a couple of hours on the cross because he's having a reaction to not just bearing sin but to becoming sin. Jesus became sin. He who was perfect became our sin and he paid the ultimate price which is second death. And people say to me, how could the Lord of, how could the Lord Jesus have paid, but how, how could he have paid the price by second death? We think of second death as eternal death and as human beings we've got it all wrong. Second death is not eternal death. Second death is separation from God. And Jesus was separated from God because he became sin for the first time in in the history of the infinite universe. The Father and the Son who had and the Spirit was there who had been together for eternity. For the first time, the Father had to turn his back on Jesus and go away because Jesus had become sin and God and sin cannot be together in the same place. Hallelujah. And Jesus on the cross, dying second death, he had become sin, he cries out and he's doing it for you any time. I'm amazed at this. There are millions of angels surrounding the cross, beings of superior, supreme strength, mighty warriors of the universe, just waiting for a for a breath, for a command from their master, from their general, save me. He only had to whisper, he only had to look in their direction. They would have come down and pulled him off the cross and smote the earth. And he's there. The father has turned his back on him. He's dying second death and he's doing it because he loves you. He's doing it to save you.
This is the message that transforms the world. This is why in the Middle Ages, young men and women at the beginning of their lives would walk to the stake and be burned alive and thrown off cliffs and smoked in caves because they had experienced the power of this Saviour in their heart and life. Here he is up on the cross with my sin, your sin, become He's become sin. That's how ingrained this stuff was in him. He become the snake. And he cries out in death, my father, my father, never been separated from him. My father, how could you forsake me? And as sin, the snake, his head fell on his chest and he died And he won the victory for you and me. Hallelujah. Amen. And all you've got to do this morning is look up at that pole. What's Jesus telling the Hebrews? He's saying you're a complaining, whinging lot, but I love you. Saying it to you and me, Lord, you're a complainer and whinger. Am I a complainer and whinger? No, says Lisker, I'm not. (laughs) We're ungrateful, we lose sight of our Lord so much, we wander, we fall into sin, we're struggling, we're battling, we're human. And Jesus looked at you and he says, for all your faults and all your weaknesses, for your betrayal of me, Lloyd, for the sins that you wantonly commit, I still love you. No one Jesus loves more than you. No one. And he's up on the cross and he says, he says, Lloyd, I can't see the Father. I feel like weeping when he says this. I can't see the Father, but I can see you. And it's enough. I'll die. Second death. I don't think I'm going to rise again. He lost sight of it. I can't see, but he could see you. And he said, it's enough, and he stayed up there, and he died. And all you've got to do is close your eyes this morning and say, Lord, I accept that sacrifice. You pray that prayer of the Holy Spirit, the third person of Godhead, will rush into your heart. He's waiting for that prayer. Rush into your mind and you become possessed of God. It's as simple as a prayer. Let's bow our heads and I invite you just in the silence of this church to pray that prayer. Lord Jesus, we are sinners. Sometimes we go far, far from you. I know I have. We participate in sins. We do things that when we reflect back on them, we shake our heads in in wonder and shame and guilt. But this morning, God, as we look at your sacrifice and what Jesus did, Reminded that there is always room at the cross for one more. Though millions have come, 
there's still room for one. Lord, in this church, people make decisions now. Pray that the Holy Spirit will acknowledge and rush in, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.